Welcome to Beyond the Game. Beyond the Game is a podcast that explores the intersection between sports and entertainment. The focus shifts from what happens in the game to remarkable individuals and groundbreaking ventures that transcend traditional boundaries and go beyond the game. All right, hello everyone. Welcome to Beyond the Game, a podcast produced by Trace Sports and Entertainment and presented by Lycan Fitness Equipment. Today we have a very special edition of the program. We will be going through the top 10 sports business stories of 2010 to 3 with a very special guest, a senior writer from Front Office Sports, Owen Poindexter. Owen, welcome to Beyond the Game. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you for taking the time. I know you're in holidays and Christmas and, and New Year's vacation, so I really appreciate you taking the time. And um, I just want to start with um, a little bit of your story, just to set the stage a little bit. I just wanted to ask if you played any sports growing up. That's a question we, we asked to all of our guests. And then later on, how did you find that passion for the business side of sports and, and covering the business side of sports? Sure, yeah. I never played anything too seriously. You know, I did Little League and stuff like that. The the thing I did most seriously was chess, actually. I was uh, I played in chess tournaments uh, up until around the age of 13, 14. Um, got, got good, but was never, you know, it was never going to be a profession unless right. you know, I really poured myself into it. And, you know, and as I was becoming a teenager, I guess, you know, got, got interested in other stuff. But, uh, but you know, stayed a sports fan throughout my whole life. Uh, sometimes that was all sports or, you know, many sports. Sometimes it, it just kind of narrowed down to baseball and hockey and, you know, maybe one or two others. But in terms of how I got interested in the, the business of sports, it was, it was just a natural outgrowth of sports fandom. I mean, as you become more more invested in a sport, the business side of it becomes more and more prominent. Um, and I'm a, you know, a big baseball fan, and it's you, you see the difference in how teams operate so clearly. I mean, it has such a, an obvious effect on the field. Um, competitiveness of sports and sort of its place in the culture kind of naturally feeds into the business side. So as you get more and more interested in those topics, Uh, the business part of it becomes more prominent and more interesting. Yeah, very cool, very cool. I think uh, similarly, uh, I, I started playing sports. Maybe you didn't play sports as much. And obviously that usually translates into being a sports fan. And as I grew more into being a sports fan, I, I then became a coach as well. So saw a little bit of the business side. And that's really propelled me into, you know, getting to know more about the business side of sports and how amazing it is. But speaking a little bit more about front office sports, can you set the stage and tell our audience, you know, what is front office sports and what do you do for them? Sure. So I've been at front office sports almost three years now. Um, was hired as as their their lead newsletter writer and About a year ago, last February, they launched a podcast. I'd been doing a sort of more basic podcast for them, or basically just reading the newsletter, but they wanted to make it more of a, a real podcast with, with interviews and discussions. And so I've been hosting the podcast since, since it launched in February, and we cover the business of sports. And it's anywhere where, you know, there's action in, in the world of sports and money, uh, where those two worlds meet, which they do all over the place. Um, can we find topics that are outside of your core sports that are Are still interesting just because there's a compelling narrative there and there's enough at stake in terms of money and media rights and culture and all that stuff uh, so yeah i've been doing that almost a year now awesome yeah and uh full disclosure i am a huge follower of the show i listen to it religiously every single morning 
uh, and that's why I, I thought about you and how you would be an, uh, the perfect guest to, to discuss the, the top 10 sports business stories of, of 2023 since you cover a lot of this this year and, and you cover them so well. So uh, thanks so much for doing this. And now, I mean, we'll start with the with the top 10 sports business stories, you know, the countdown starting with number 10, which is the merger between Premier Paddle and War Paddle Tour. I mean, we talked a little bit offline and you said that you don't know much about Padel, but um, what's like the, the vibe over there? I first heard about uh, Padel through a, um, or Paddle through a, an interview I did about pickleball. It was, it was with someone who, who covered pickleball, but also was just interested in emerging sports and right. also, you know, had a separate kind of media wing of his company for emerging sports. And he said, sorry, so talk a lot about pickleball. What, what else is coming our way? And one of the things he mentioned was Padel. Clearly there's huge interest for, as a participation sport, easy to pick up, fun, And if you're not like the most athletic mobile person in the world, you can still play and have fun with it. Um, I think the big question for all these is, um, is it going to take off as a professional spectator sport? Um, that, you know, are you going to be turning on your TV and, and watching pickleball and watching padel? But if people keep playing it, I think there'll be enough of an appetite to find a way to make it an interesting spectator sport. And, and you know, we forget the, the sports we watch, they've had decades to hone themselves as spectator sports. That could take a little time for these new sports. But if, if, If Padel keeps expanding as a participation sport, I think there's plenty of room for it to be a, you know, a professional sport and per perhaps a, a very good spectator sport. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of professionalization, I think that's one of the main reasons why they're seeking this merger because there was two simultaneous professional leagues going on at the same time. As you can see with, uh, we will talk about it in a little bit, as Leaf and the PGA, something similar was happening on the Padel Tour. And that really hurts the sport because, you know, there's uh, disputes with players playing for both leagues and the fight for money and sponsors and investment. So I think also from, a, from an international paddle federation standpoint, there has to be only one circuit for them to be in the Olympics. They want to be in the Olympics by 2032. So that's another step they want to take. So that's the reason why why they, they have joined and, and merged, you know, but the, the big story there is also uh, where the money is coming from, which is from the Qatar Investment Fund, QSI, which, you know, there has been a lot of talk of that in the U.S., Um, but yeah, it's a top story, especially because of the Padel craze that we've been hearing about. And the best way to, to explain the Padel craze that's been happening here in South America is just the same as pickleball in the U.S. So it's been growing a lot, you know, a lot of more players, investment. So I think, you know, unifying that is it's huge for the sport and in the hopes of, of making it uh, to the professional levels in terms of sponsorship and broadcasting and, and everything else you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the same thing happened in with pickleball in the U.S. There were two upstart pickleball leagues that are competing with each other, trying to get players, you know, trying to each, you know, carve out their own angle. And, and eventually they just merged because it just kind of made sense for everyone. Yeah, totally. All right, we will uh, move forward into the top nine sports business story, and that is the influence of artificial intelligence in sports. So to make it a little bit more interesting, I've gone to ChatGPT as we speak, uh, and I've asked ChatGPT, what is the impact of artificial intelligence in the sports business in 2023? And ChatGPT says, as of my last knowledge update in January 2023, I don't have real-time information on specific developments in 2023. However, I can provide general trends and expectations based on the trajectory of AI in the sports business. Some of the trends are advanced analytics and player performance, injury prediction and prevention, fan engagement and personalization, broadcast and immersive experiences, enhanced recruitment and scouting, continued growth in the sports technology startups, ethical considerations and regulations, integration with wearables and IoT, AI in sports betting and fantasy sports, sustainability, and venue management. 
Um, Owen, you've covered this topic greatly. What are your thoughts on, on the influence of AI, especially this year since the inception of, you know, ChatGPT, especially? ChatGPT gave you a pretty good list there. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, AI is permeating everything. Um, I mean, the, I think the most recent uh, thing I covered about it was it's, it seems very likely that the Sports Illustrated were doing product reviews that were you know, AI generated. Um, but, but yeah, in terms of how teams operate, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're, we're going to see more and more, um, you know, use of AI, both yeah, fan engagement, but also analytics for, yeah, trying to predict injuries, trying to, um, yeah, optimize performance yeah, as wearables become more and more ubiquitous. And, and yeah, when you have that much data, it just makes sense to use AI to try to process it and synthesize it. Um, it's, it's hard for any human being at a certain point to, to know what you're looking at. But yeah, we're, we're seeing it. You know, the chat GPT's list was good, honestly. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it's, it's, we're going to be seeing this in every element of, because there's so much data from fans, from players, from, from everything. Yeah. And I think the other big question is also how is it going to replace some of the jobs currently doing, you know, by, by normal people. And I think yeah. in my opinion, there is just the way you use it, you know, you can use it in a, in a productive, in a good way that's going to help the business. Yeah. And I've thought about it, you know, with my own, own work and I think, you know, we're, we're safe for now. Um, you know, I, I, I mostly talk for a living and it's um, not as easy for, for, yeah. I haven't heard of a, an AI generated podcast just yet. They might be coming. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you're putting out original stuff, uh, original reporting, you know, do, doing original interviews, that's not yet being replicated by sure. AI. And I, I don't think it's, that's happening anytime soon. Yeah. I mean, it's something that people are going to be thinking about more and more when they think about their own careers and in sports and kind of everywhere else. Absolutely. But I think you're right. I think the creative aspect of it is going to be hard you know replaced by AI so that's you know something that that um, we as humans can continue to thrive on and 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 use that to our advantage but uh, yeah moving on into the top eight sports business story the Netflix venture into live sports I mean we have for years been wondering if and when you know Netflix is going to start bidding for maybe some media rights and they have done it in their own in their own unique way through the the Netflix cup which was you know a, a little joint venture between two of their shows, you know, Drive to Survive and Golf Swing. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on, on the Netflix approach and where are you hearing from, from the sports media? Yeah, I mean, and you're right about how we've been wondering for years uh, if, if Netflix will get into live sports. And it didn't seem like they really had an appetite for it um, because, yeah, sports rights are expensive. They're only getting more expensive. And Netflix has been able to maintain a very large subscriber base just through its, its own programming um, without diving into that. But they've got these very popular uh, sports docu-series, you know, Drive to Swing, Breakpoint. Um, what, what they're doing is they're taking those and basically making, it's like shoulder programming for their shoulder programming to get you, you know, maybe you, you're interested in Drive to Survive or you watch Drive to Survive. So now you watch the Netflix Cup, which involves people from Drive to Survive in the, in the F1 show and Full Swing, the golf show. And, uh, and so maybe you, maybe you like get interested in those in the, the golf characters. You start right. watching that. Um, and now, yeah, they're, they're upping the ante now with the Netflix Slam. We're going to see right. Nadal and Carlos Alcaraz and that the Netflix slam feels like you know the next step up from the Netflix cup which was their there's a funny golf f1 thing it was yeah. just kind of a goofy event that they weren't taking too seriously and the Netflix slam it seems like it's more of a tennis tournament um, but they're they're taking the approach of we don't just want to you know get get the rights to you know some like some NHL games or some NBA games yeah. um, we want to make it a Netflix show the big question is will they eventually 
jump into something like, you know, try to get the rights to the NBA midseason tournament, something like that, but still make it a Netflix show. That's, you know, that would obviously be a huge elevation to what they're doing now. Uh, But it's something that apparently they're, they're of where, where they, you know, invest. Um, Obviously so far, the main things they've been doing have been sort of doubled as commercials for their other shows. Um, do they take a big, you know, the NBA is negotiating its media rights right now and uh, Netflix will at least be part of that conversation. I'll be surprised if they get in, but, I'm, but I won't be shocked just because we've been hearing that that's a possibility. Um, but so far they want to do everything as a Netflix show. I assume until further notice that they'll keep that model. Right. Um, but can they do that? Wow. Also getting some, um, some rights. Yeah, having bigger profile events. Um, and they're doing that with, with Alcaraz and Nadal. It'll be interesting sure. to see if they can continue to, to stoke that interest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Something that we will continue to to watch and monitor as, as the Netflix Slam approaches in 2024 and, and moving forward. But speaking of the Netflix Cup, which took place in Las Vegas, that uh, leads us into our top seven sports business story of 2023, which is the growth of Formula One in, in the US and in Latin America. Um, and that came with adding a third race in the in the U.S. this year, Las Vegas GP, which has you know been in 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 the in the mouths of so many people. They've been talking about it. It has generated so many news. Um, so we've been we've been obviously following closely. I'm a huge F1 fan, but um, you know, last year they added a second race in the U.S. with the Miami Grand Prix, which became the the most watched U.S. Grand Prix of in, in history with 2.6 million viewership. This year, they added a third race in, in Las Vegas. You know, a lot of investment there, over half a bill of investment. But um, yeah, how have you seen the, the growth of F1 in the U.S., the interest, the attendance, the viewership, and also uh, specifically the Las Vegas Grand Prix, which which happened for the first time this year? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 been a huge story. And Netflix is, uh, you know, very much, you know, the... Uh, the, the company to credit for for a lot of this. Um, maybe there, maybe F one was was gonna make its move in the U S. anyway. But I think Drive to Survive just um, you know just made it a much much bigger phenomenon. And and I think it it works because we're you, you can be an F one fan and you, you don't have to tune in that much. It's not this like you know, year long investment where there's games all the time. And, you know, and uh, and there's plenty going on. There's, if you want to go deep, there's plenty to go deep on, but the Miami grand prix happens once a year. The, you know, the, um, the one in Austin once a year, the now in Vegas once a year. And so you can, you can be an F1 fan. You can go to these events and it's, it's not the same sort of commitment as, you know, let's try to get you interested in hockey. There are games all the time. There are all these teams, you know, there are all these players. It's just getting up to speed is a, is a real challenge. Um, I think the, the growth of, of F1 in the U.S., it's been very impressive uh, because racing in the U.S. Is, is sort of localized to certain parts of the country. It has a certain cultural feel. F1 is very different from it. F1 feels cosmopolitan, European. It's like sleek. It's like a James Bond kind of race. Whereas NASCAR, you know, has more of a middle America kind of feel. Uh, but it's interesting how there's sort of this new racing audience that is culturally very different. The races itself are culturally very different from what U.S. fans are used to. But, I mean, the, the results are there. Uh, yeah, the Vegas Grand Prix, a lot of money thrown around there. Um, and, and they invested in Las Vegas. You know, they, they set up a paddock building there that's going to be there. Uh, they bought property there so they, they can uh, have a, a, you know, a long-term sustainable spot there and try to generate year-round interest. 
um, and make it something of a tourist attraction. I think it's going to be a successful event. My, my question is, again, like in years three, four, five, six, how much are we going to care? I'm sure like these events will continue to sell out. They'll continue to make money. Um, I think the spectacle will start to wear off. It'll start to be, you know, feel like more of the awesome Grand Prix where it's like, oh yeah, that's just actually been around for a while. And if you didn't, if you weren't a fan, you might not really know about it. Um, it might start to fade a little bit like that, but I, I think there will continue to be huge interest in these races going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And from, from a business standpoint, it, it has not only grown, you know, from a viewership, attendance, race uh, number standpoint, also there has been a lot of investment pouring in from the U.S. into into Formula One teams, which are usually based from Europe. You know, yeah. one, of, one of the most prominent, Ryan Reynolds, you know, the famous actor invested in, in Alpine earlier this year as well. Williams set an office in New York and they're, 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 they're growing their sponsorship base from in the U.S. and they have, a, you know, a U.S. driver. So there's a lot of more attention coming from the U.S. And, and that's interesting, you know, from the business side of sports as well. Um, but yeah, moving on to the top six sports business story. I mean, this is nothing new, but I think they have made the headlines uh, all over 2023, which is the NFL is king, continues to be king and will remain to be king, I think, for the years to come. Super Bowl 57 became the most watched sports and TV broadcast overall, like in history with 115.1 million and the halftime show also even even higher with 118.7 million viewers. Um, also, the sale of the Washington Commanders became the most expensive sale of a sports team in history with a record sale of $6.05 billion. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, on, on the NFL continuing to, to grow if, if, if that was even possible? Yeah, I mean, you, you wouldn't think it was. You, you think they're basically at their peak and, and they're just not. It's, it's so popular and you know, the, the media's landscape is fracturing you know uh you still have a lot of people who can watch broadcasts but there's so many cord cutters cables you know every other league has to deal with this you know how much are we on cable how much are we streaming how do we do we shift back to broadcast and the nfl just is above all of that um they're it's so popular they play three games on thanksgiving and those collectively i think last year had more viewers than the entire nba is either the entire five games of the nba finals or it was very close it was comparable yeah. anyway those aren't even playoff games they, they right. don't even necessarily have good teams yeah that league just completely takes over and they, they keep finding ways to grow and yeah they um They, they try to bring in kids through, uh, like they do these broadcasts with Nickelodeon where there's a like green slime in the end zone, you know, obviously superimposed digitally. Um, they're doing one. I think there's going to be an all broadcast for the Super Bowl with SpongeBob SquarePants. Uh, so they're, you know, they don't just sit back and say, we're the most popular. Let's just let's Relax. let this thing run and, yeah. and not not bother to to move forward. Um, so, yeah, they're they're trying to bring in kids. They're uh, investing a lot in flag football because a lot of parents who don't want their kids to play football. There's you know huge concerns around concussions, even at the youth levels. Uh, and they got this gift of uh, Taylor Swift, Absolutely. you know, the only, the only celebrity who's, you know, comparably large to the NFL um, is now, now dating Travis Kelsey. As if they needed more games. help. Yeah, right. As if they needed more help. And, and now, you know, there's they're playing many games overseas. They, they have a regular presence in Europe. Um, you know, they're playing they're going to play in Brazil, Mexico. Um, there is somewhat serious talk of permanent European teams. Um, logistically, obviously, that's not easy, but uh, but they're big enough to make it work. And they're showing that they're popular in Europe. They're, you know, I'm sure the Brazil game, I'm sure it'll be huge. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure what the limit is for, for the NFL, but it, it showed again this year that it, it can continue to top itself. Absolutely, and and speaking of something that you alluded at the beginning with the, with the core cotton and and the shift in consumer behavior that not only the NFL but all of the leagues uh, have been experiencing, you know, for years now. Um, that that leads us into our next sports business story, which is number five. Something that we've also been wondering for for a few years now: when is that shift going to happen from broadcasting to streaming? And one of the leagues, you know, the MLS, went fully streaming for the first time this year uh, with a deal with Apple that's worth two point five billion dollars. And it's not only about um, going fully streaming, but they also want to bring their the huge knowledge in tech and you know redefine the way sports are cons are consumed from a streaming standpoint. Uh, what have you heard from from the sports media landscape in terms of the the Apple deal and the MLS? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a super interesting deal, and yeah, one for a league to invest fully in streaming and say, you know, we're this is how you watch MLS. You you get the package on Apple TV, uh, and MLS can do things because they're smaller. Obviously, they don't want to stay small or smaller. They're they're not small, but um, but they can do things that the NBA can't, like have a fully streaming package. You know, it's you're not going to get as much money that way, but but they can be innovative and they can try to grow with Apple. Apple TV, um, and they can do things like this deal with with Messi, where you know he's getting a piece of the Adidas deal, the Apple deal. I'll save that one for later. But uh, but yeah, Apple is the other big streamer. It's like Amazon, it shows Thursday night football, and it's basically like you're watching Thursday night football on another channel. It's just right. you're watching on Prime Video with with Apple and with Netflix. So far, if you're watching a game, it's going to feel like. The, the production of that company. Apple is, you know, when they had um, MLB games, baseball games, yeah. um, it wasn't, It wasn't just like you're watching any other baseball broadcast. They tried to make it feel very different. This is, you know, the way you can look at an Apple product, you can like spot it a mile away because it, it just looks different or they have a certain look to them. They're trying to do the same thing with sports. Again, like with Netflix, it'll be interesting to see, like, can they do that at the next level? Are they going to get in on, on the NBA rights? Um, and what will that look like? Do the leagues feel comfortable, you know, doing something a little bit different? Again, MLS um, is is trying to carve out its spot for itself. And by just aligning itself with Apple, it kind of separates them out from every other league um, and and makes it something like it's a, a wholly different product from from what you might watch otherwise. It's like, it's not like, am I going to watch a, a hockey game or a soccer game? It's like, am I going to watch the like cable version of sports or the Apple version of sports. So they're, they're very tied together in a way that we don't really have for other major leagues in the U S and, uh, and yeah, obviously it's a, a full bet on streaming, which is still a growing thing, still hard to be profitable as a streamer in the U S but MLS is saying we're growing. Streaming is growing. Apple streaming service is growing. Let's, let's all, let's, let's grow together and see yeah. how that works. And then we'll see how it works over the next few years. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, Of all the of all the big leagues, you know the five big leagues, um, MLS has been trying to push to be in the same you know fold as all these other leagues, but they're still kind of growing and still kind of sometimes not considered one of the big five. But they were in that position to kind of make that change and go fully streaming and and try to grow in that sense. And 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 a lot of growth comes just from the conversation that it has sparked. But yeah, you know it's it's something that we will continue to monitor and and continue to see how it performs and also how other leagues continue to also include it in 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 their in their mix as well. But yeah, moving on into the fourth is something that we're we're really excited about and it's the growth of of women's sports. That's the top for the sports business story of 2023. 
uh, and they have set records all over the place, attendance, investment, sponsorship, revenues, um, starting with the NWSL, who announced a record media rights deal worth $240 million. That's a 40x increase. Uh, the Women's World Cups became the highest revenue in, in tournament history with $570 million and attendance record of $1.9 million. Uh, Australia Women's Soccer became the most watched TV program since 2011 with over 11.5 million viewers uh, in the semifinal against England. Nebraska volleyball game, you know, set a world record for attendance uh, at a women's sporting event at 92,000. Um, 3.4 uh, million people tuned in to watch Coco Gauff win the U.S. Open, uh, the most viewed major uh, women's championship ever in ESPN. And one that we're really excited about, which is something that you wouldn't know, but one of the clubs here in Ecuador recently announced that they are developing uh, fully private um, women's sports complex, which is fully and entirely run by a women's soccer team. But um, yeah, what have you seen in terms of the growth of, of women's sports uh, in, in the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, um, you laid out a lot, of, a lot of big headlines in that area for the last year. And women's sports has kind of been stuck in this self-fulfilling prophecy for so long in the U.S. of People saying, well, you know, all the, all the money is in men's sports. People are interested in men's sports. That's what people watch. So that's where the money is. And, you know, but the, the problem with that is that there hasn't been anywhere close to the investment in women's sports. And now we're finally seeing what happens when you actually invest in women's sports and event pay the players more, though that's still a, an issue. Uh, women's team sport, women's players um, are still still don't make a ton of money. Um, but, uh, yeah, investing in in the broadcasts, investing in, in the marketing, investing in the teams themselves. Um, and, and so, yeah, it still has a ways to go to catch up to, to men's sports. And it, it, that's sort of the, the flip side of the, that self-fulfilling prophecy is, okay, so the NWSL, now they're bringing in $60 million a year uh, for the next four years from their media deal. And that is going to allow them to pay their players more, invest more in facilities, invest more in marketing. Um, and so then, you know, when the next media deal comes up, hopefully that can take another step up and, and that cycle can continue going and we can see that, how big that league can get. Um, and it, it showed that there's, there's real interest here. This isn't a gimmick. This isn't, you know, just, uh, you know, people being nice or charitable. There, there's interest, there's money, um, and it should continue to grow. We don't really know how big this is going to get. And obviously, the way that these these teams and leagues and media companies invest and package these games is going to matter a whole lot. Uh, but we're showing that the interest is there and um, and that it's been underinvested in for years and the, the investment is finally starting to show up. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Very exciting. Very exciting for women's sports. But moving on to the top three, we have our podium. So on number three, we have the 700 million contract that uh, Shohei Otani signed uh, with the Dodgers. Obviously, 700 million became the, the highest contract ever for an athlete. Can you explain a little bit to the audience, you know, what, what the interesting thing, not only the, the, um, the size of the, of the contract, but also some nuances with, with the contract itself? Yeah, every detail that came out about this, it just keep, kept getting stranger. Uh, so, yeah, the, the, the first the headline came out, he's Shohei Otani, arguably the best baseball player ever, has signed the old Los Angeles Dodgers for 10 years, $700 million. People were saying, you know, it's going to be $500 million, it's going to get up to $600 million. No one thought $700 million. But he's actually going to only get paid $2 million per year for the length of that 10-year contract, and then $68 million per year for the next 10 years following that. So 700 million, but 680 million is deferred. And if you, you know, estimate 
$2023, what that's going to be worth in, you know, 2034 and beyond, the contract value is more in the $450 million range. It's assuming that we know what 2034 and $2040 are going to be worth, and we don't, but, um, but you know we can we can take our best guess. So there's that element of it. There's also the very strange wrinkle that Otani um, can opt out of this contract um, if their controlling owner Mark Walter, um, if he moves away from the organization, or if their president of baseball operations, who you know this is someone who can be these, these people get fired if the team underperforms. If either of them leaves the organization, Otani can opt out at the end of that season, and so it ties a player to his front office in a way that I have never seen before. It's possible that there are deals like this out there that we don't know about, but um, yeah, it's a completely unprecedented deal, both for the number and for the deferrals and for that, that clause about um, him being able to opt out if there's an ownership change or a a management change. So yeah, it's completely unique and and strange. And he's maybe the only player that could pull this off. And then the Dodgers are one of the only teams that would, that would agree to this and pull it off. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of, of the deferral, you know, it's, it's allegedly, it was Shohei Otani's idea to defer, to give the the Dodgers more freedom to spend on building the team around him uh, for the foreseeable future. But that also brings a a bit of a a competitive balance question of how some teams are able to do this and some others are are left out. And, and, you know, that's something that Bradley with this deal is going to be rectified in the near future. Yeah, and we'll see if this has impacts going forward. Um, Yeah, there's maybe three to five teams that could... Uh, conceive of doing something like this and you know he's he's going to be the most expensive player in baseball it's you know on one hand of course there are only a few teams that that can afford this guy Uh, on the other hand yeah baseball will have you know eventually we're going to have its next collective bargaining negotiations will the owner side or the player side try to put a stop to this kind of thing uh we'll see we'll see if this is a big deal to other owners but i think the smaller market teams they don't necessarily like this because not only yeah, do the Dodgers have Otani, they have two other superstars already in Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman. They also use some of that deferral money to sign another Japanese superstar, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, uh, to a $325 million deal. No deferrals wow. in that one. So, I mean, that's why Otani wanted those deferrals. Is, yeah. you know, spend around me. Don't just make it the, the Otani team. Yeah. Uh, he wants to win championships. Uh, but moving on into our top two sports business story of 2023, and this is an ongoing one. Earlier this year, the LIF and the PGA announced that um, they're going to merge, which was a huge business story that has been carrying on since 2022 when the LIF first appeared into the scene. You know, just to give our, our listeners a little bit of background, you know, LIF launched in 2022 with big numbers, you know, 25 million prize money, 4 million for the individual winner, 4 million for the winning team, 30 million in performance bonuses. And it was backed by the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund, which already raised some concerns in, in the U.S., uh, given, you know, some human rights concerns and this and Liv started approaching, you know, some PGA golfers, Phil Mickelson went to play for Liv for 200 million, Dustin Johnson went to play for Liv for 125 million, Bryson DeChambeau and Bruce Kepka as well. So they started poaching some, some, some players and then the PGA banned some of the players who, who played on the lift. And, and yeah, this is now in, in, now we're in 2023, they announced the merger after, you know, the, the PGA has been so critical about the, the lift golf and especially, you know, being backed by, by the PIF. So, um, yeah. What can you tell us about this, this continuous evolving story? It's been a crazy story. And this is something where, um, you know, Saudi Arabia obviously wants to be a sports hub and they've done it largely through targeting 
targeting individual athletes. Phil Mickelson, that, that was the first big move because he's a much beloved golfer who's still still very competitive, but on the older side and has this long, illustrious career. Once they got him, every other everyone else could say, well, you know, Mickelson already went over. So why shouldn't I take the $100, $200 million? So the, the PGA Tour was still, you know, the um, where, where people go to watch golf in the U.S. It, it's yeah. still the hub, even you know with a few superstars poached. You know, it's it's still they still have the biggest tournaments. The you know the, all the history, live golf. People don't really know like what it is, how to watch, who to root for, and so it was hurting the PGA Tour a lot. One because it was taking these superstars. Two, there are lawsuits in both directions that were very costly to the PGA Tour. The, the money part of this, obviously, is not as big a deal to uh, to the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund, but it was really hurting the PGA Tour. And I think that is why eventually we saw this agreement for a merger. The the catch there is we still don't have the merger. They, they have a deadline coming up. It might be, um, and by the time this runs, maybe we'll have seen a deal. Maybe we'll have seen that deadline extended. Um, but the reporting that we're seeing is that the deal might not ever happen. A lot of people who, yeah. who are following this closely think that um, the, we don't really have the ingredients for an actual deal here. And we saw the, the tension rise because there, once, once that, that agreement had been struck in June, there was a detente. Live Golf stopped poaching PGA Tour players. But in December, they signed John Rahm for something in the neighborhood of $500 million. He's yeah. the number three ranked golfer. And all of a sudden, there's this moment of like, oh, like this, this is still going on. Um, Liv is still going to be going after the, the top golfers in the world. Does that mean that a deal is just not happening? Or is it, hey, make a deal happen? Because if you don't, we're, we're going to keep getting these guys. You want John Rahm back? Well, um, you know, t- time, to, time to make this deal work. You know, this is a story that is, is very much alive, and we don't really know what the future of golf is going to look like, and probably the people in the center of it don't know either. So, um, yeah, this, this one's going to keep going in the yeah. 2024. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as, I, as I was doing my research for, um, for today, I, I read an article uh, this morning by Essentially Sports um, that – mentioned that they, there are three keys for, for this deal to happen, which, as you said, you know, there's still some, some, a lot of loose ends, but for it to happen, you know, they're looking into three major areas, which is leadership, what's going to happen to the leadership with both PGA and Live Golf, you know, having Jake Monahan as the commissioner of the, of the PGA and Greg Norman leading the Live Golf, what's that, what's that going to look like? The second thing that there's been a lot of discussion on is on the Ryder Cup, you know, what are going to be the, the presets or the qualification standpoints for for players to play on 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 this um, huge event that has become you know a, a worldwide phenomenon. So that's another thing. And then the third one, uh, how will the merger impact the players on, on uh, the players' schedule and and the players on, on both of, of those leagues? But um, yeah, as you said, something that both of us will be watching closely as as we head into 2024. We finally got to our top one sports business story, and I think. Many of you will agree that uh, this was a huge, huge deal when it happened, and it was the move of Messi, soccer superstar, after winning the World Cup, moving to MLS to play for for Inter Miami. The deal alone was was super interesting, as, as it involved not only you know him moving there, it ha- he had an ownership stake in, in the club, and also you, as you mentioned earlier, before you know deals with Adidas and and Apple. Also, more than a sports business story, it became almost like a fairy tale, right? With that debut and that free kick goal in the 94 minute, uh, they went on to, to live the MLS Cup. But um, yeah, speak a little bit about, about this this huge story that, that you know, happened in 2023. 
I mean, it's it's exactly what MLS needed because MLS is a growing league. There's a lot of excitement around it. They have this Apple deal. Um, the same time, you know, name an MLS player. <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, they they don't have the international superstars and they don't have the money for the international superstars. And um, you know, the, the Erling Hollands of the world, they're not going to go to an MLS team uh, because they can make so much more in in the Premier League or you know other European leagues. But you know, all of a sudden they've got Messi, they've got this huge celebrity who is is still you know a, a superstar on the field, uh, attracts a ton of interest everywhere he goes. Um, and MLS is, you know, it's a league that's it's small enough and, and nimble enough to make a deal like this where it's like, okay, if we're going to get messy and we're going to, you know, prevent him from taking the, the billion dollars he was supposedly offered in Saudi Arabia, you know, how, how are we going to make this work? How are we right. going to at least make, give him something resembling comparable value? So yes, he's got a big deal with Inter Miami, the actual team, but he also, you know, he's, he gets a piece of uh, Adidas's uh, profits off of MLS. He gets a, a slice of the, the Apple deal, the growth in subscriptions to MLS season pass. He, he'll, he'll be able to buy into Inter Miami itself. He'll get, you can, you can get an ownership stake going forward you know, after he retires. So I, I said the Otani deal is incredibly unique. The Messi deal is, is probably even more unique. Right. And yeah, it's exactly, it's it's the, the star power, the celebrity power that MLS needed. Um, but obviously, you know, the World Cup is coming to the U.S. in 2026. All the, there's, you know, all, all this excitement around soccer and its potential growth here. Um, but yeah, can, can there be a steady build to that moment? Well, yep. Yeah, all of a sudden, and Messi's in the U.S. So yeah, that that's exactly what they needed, and um, it's it's going to be huge, obviously, for the growth of the league and the growth of the sport um, in the U.S. And so yeah, it's I think it's it's an excellent pick for the Absolutely. biggest story of the year. And it has come also, you know, as a waterfall effect for some other players, you know, included in the Messi deal was um, Sergio Busquets and Jordi Alba. They're already in the in the club. And I know that they recently announced that Luis Suarez is also joining the team. So that's also a huge, uh, um, a huge name that's coming to MLS. So, yeah, we're finally seeing MLS, you know, Uh, reach that 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 next level but in terms of some of the stats that i found you know from from this uh, specifically from the business side you know inter miami gained almost 15.4 million followers became the most followed account uh in the u.s in terms of teams leaks and anything else so that was huge also ticket sales for for both inter and all of the teams that that played uh inter miami you know skyrocketed sponsorships you know uh xavi Asensi, who's the chief business officer i i heard him mention in a, in a in a podcast that all of the deals were made so that they kind of expired or they have a clause that let them you know re-evaluate yeah. the deals so that's a huge you know business strategy from a strategic standpoint uh the jersey sales also skyrocketed messi's jersey became the the most sold in the u.s but since then i think it has passed by shohio tanis Uh, jersey but uh yeah and the apple deal that we were talking about uh, it said that uh, they increased 50 in subscriptions and finally just a projected revenue for 2024 will be of 200 million uh, based on the inter miami projections so yeah a story huge story um that we will continue to track and monitor um through through the rest of, of 2024 um, but yeah anything else top of mind that you think we have missed or some closing remarks uh yeah no well one uh, really appreciate you having me on um but yeah i mean in this stuff uh, the, the the premise of front office sports the company is that these stories are mainstream sports stories if you're interested in sports you know this this stuff is more and more prominent and i think we're seeing it you know i think like messi to miami 
it wasn't just the biggest sports business story of the year. It's arguably the biggest sports story. And so, yeah, it's 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 fun to cover. Um, it's fun to talk about. And, uh, and yeah, it should be. And, and you know, uh, hope, hope folks tune in to Front Office Sports Today in 2024. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, really appreciate you having me on. No, I, I appreciate you coming on. You know, I know you're in vacation. So this means a lot to us, to me, as, as I'm starting this venture into podcasting like yourself. Uh, but finally, where can people find you? More about you, more about your podcast. Just just let us know where to find you. Yeah, look up Front, front Office Sports Today on, on whatever podcast app you like. Uh, we love the ratings and reviews. But most, most of all, we just love the listeners. And also just go to frontofficesports.com there are links to all our stories obviously and the podcast as well and yeah we we have uh ongoing coverage of the stuff every single day and um yeah it's it's a fascinating little world so um yeah come check us out yeah absolutely i 100 recommend it and i say at the beginning of the show I, i am a huge follower so i recommend to all of our listeners as well to check it out and yeah again thank you so much and continued success with with your podcast and front office sports uh, in general in 2024 all right thanks carlos thank you